Well, as the story goes, it was a couple from the United States who went to England, specifically to Oxford University. Now, Oxford University is the oldest university in the English-speaking world. Some of its colleges date back to, I believe, the 9th century. That would be the 800s. And so the the couple was there. They were going to be there for a year. The husband was going to be studying at one of the colleges of Oxford University. He was going to be studying, as a matter of fact, at one of the oldest colleges. And so he and his wife arrived in Oxford and they began touring the university. They went specifically to the college where he would be studying. And it was among the oldest in the university. And so, as you could imagine, had some old buildings. And some that were even to the point where they were kind of around the edges crumbling just a little bit. And they were kind of marveling at how old the structures were. And then the wife noticed that there were curtains on some of the windows. And she looked more carefully and could see people inside moving around, going about their business. And so she exclaimed to her husband, Honey, these ruins are inhabited. And as we gather here this morning, what is central to what we are doing is the Word of God. And within the Word of God, we can flip through it, and it doesn't take long to see that, well, what's going on here is ancient stuff. Whether it's history, or poetry, or prophecy, or letters. That what's going on here is ancient. The newest of it, written almost 2,000 years ago. And the oldest, thousands of years before that. But the Hebrews writer tells us that the Word of God is alive and active, or living and active, depending on your translation. And so we could say these ruins are inhabited, couldn't we, church? The Bible is like no other book. The Bible... It's not just us reading it in a strange way. Unlike any other thing we could read, it sort of reads us. It shapes us in a way that no other created literature can. You know, we often talk about, uh, if you ever hear an interview of a musical artist, uh, a painter, a professional athlete, the interviewer will often ask that question, well, who, who inspired you? And so musical artists might go off and name, name artists from different genres. Say, well, I was, I was influenced by 
I was influenced by people that, that played the blues, and I was influenced by people that did folk music, and that's, those are some of the artists that shaped the music that I write today. Sometimes late on Sunday nights, there's a, a show on a guy named Graham Bissinger, and he interviews professional athletes, typically. And uh, one of the questions he will ask is, you know, who, who inspired you when you were growing up? Who were the athletes that you looked up to? And, of course, for every person that's interviewed, there come different, very different answers. Of course, a lot of that could depend on the sport that they're playing. But we are told very clearly that in God's Word, that it is in fact inspired. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as we gather today, we have seen those precious children dedicated to the Lord. Some of those families were standing before us not that long ago, dedicating their first child to the Lord. And so, you listen to the language here, Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and saying, Timothy, you know me. You know where I came from. You know what I've been through. And in the book of Acts, we can read some of the trials that Paul endured in those places like Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. In one of those, as a matter of fact, he narrowly escaped death. And we can also look just a couple of pages back at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because he says to Timothy something that I think is very important this morning, church. When he says uh, that you know who you learned it from. And if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, 
It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Praise God to a mother and a grandmother who passed on their faith to Timothy. And we don't know what Timothy went on to do because this is written toward the end of Paul's life. 2 Timothy. This This is the letter where he says, I am being poured out. That I have... I have run the race, I've kept the faith. And that what's waiting for me is the crown of righteousness that awaits all believers, all who call on the name of Jesus. So this is the end of Paul's life. He is pouring out this final letter to this young preacher. He's saying, you know, I know you. I know where you came from, I know who you first learned it from. Now obviously, I'm not standing here before a room full of preachers. But I am standing before a room full of God's children. A room full of God's people. People who were called to pass on their faith. And so, to the parents this morning, we charge them with the task of passing on their faith to their children. And we're going to do what we can to help out with that. Some of them right now are listening to the Word of God delivered in a way that children can understand. And at some point, we're going to be able to resume classes on Sunday morning. We've already resumed classes on Wednesday evening. But of course we all know that the model of faith, the best model of faith, comes from Christian parents. That children can read and hear, but then see it modeled in their houses every day of their lives. Does that mean parents are perfect and they're never going to sin again? Well, of course not. We're all broken. We are all on our best days sinners saved by grace. But it does mean that parents have a wonderful opportunity to shape the spiritual lives of their children. Now, all children not all children, a lot of children go through a period of life where they question their faith. That's natural. And I would even submit to you this morning that that's healthy. That they don't accept a faith just because it was their parents' faith. Because I've heard the testimony of people who have done that and they say, boy, when when tragedy hit... That faith really wasn't mine. I hadn't developed it. It was simply, I had adopted my parents' faith and hadn't really grown myself in the Lord. 
And then they talk about how that kind of rocked their world. And so when people get to that point, and oftentimes it happens in their late teens and the early part of their 20s, people kind of step away from church for a while. I'm not encouraging it, but I'm acknowledging it. That people go through that period where they just sort of step away for a bit. And it's in that period that they often start questioning some things. And the good that comes from that is that their own faith is developed and shaped because of that. That when they come back to the Lord, when they come back to church, that they are much stronger in their faith than they were previously. Now, as Daryl read that verse this morning, teach a child in the way that they should go, and they will not stray from it. Oh, I wish I could tell you that it was that cut and dry and that simple. But it's simply not. Because that child becomes an adult. And just like the rest of us, they have freedom of choice, don't they, church? And so their faith has to be their faith. Their faith has to be something that they come to and acknowledge and then grow and build upon. But I have seen so many people over the years, even prior to ministry, and it often happens when people have children. Because then they remember the things they were taught. How God's Word shaped them into the person they are today. How God's Word was useful for helping them understand ethics. If any of you have happened to watch the children's church videos that my wife has been doing for the last, what now, 11 months? On YouTube, she spent a whole lot of time in the book of Genesis. Well, it's 50 chapters of Holy Scripture. And it is the beginning. It is the foundation that is laid in God's Word. And there is so much there to learn from. And I love how... Uh, because I think I've watched every one of them at least once. And I love how that when she, when she delves into the book of Genesis for our kiddos, that she arrives at something that can shape them into being better people. She talks about those characters in Genesis. Those characters in the Bible. The Bible that doesn't give us people that are just perfect in every way, does it? No. God's Word is full of stories of people who have killed other people. Murderers, rapists, swindlers, liars. And again, I don't recommend it. But 
I appreciate that God gave us a book full of real people. Not fairy tale people, not make believe people. The only perfect person in the Bible is Jesus Christ. And they killed him. But no, God's word is full of people that we can relate to. People who are broken. People who make mistakes. People who, as strong as they are sometimes, in the bulletin article, using Elijah, standing up to the 450 prophets of Baal, but then turning right around and letting Jezebel rattle his cage and running off and wanting to die and feeling sorry for himself. What is that, church family? That's a broken person right there. That's somebody who is having a bona fide moment of weakness. And God says, eat something and then take another nap. And then he wakes up and God says, eat some more. Now, let's have a talk. Because things aren't as bad as you think they are. But here's the plan going forward. But that episode, that event doesn't happen without a deep relationship with the Almighty Father. What did we give our families this morning? We gave them a commemorative Bible, a New Testament, but we also gave them that story Bible taken directly from Scripture and it goes Genesis to Revelation. And it's got their name in the front of it and it says, please read to me. And the reason I think it's wonderful to give those Bibles away, those story Bibles, is because I know how many times I read to my own son from that exact same story Bible. And I know that I am a better man because of it. And he is a better child of God because of it. And then when children get into the first grade, we give them another Bible here. If they make the choice to be baptized, we give them yet another Bible. When they graduate from high school, we give them a nice, thick, heavy study Bible. Some of you all have remembered, some of you all have, have been recipients of those. Because we want to equip them for the world out there. And I remember in talking about people coming back to faith or people that remember what they're taught when they're young. I had not been in ministry very long. As a matter of fact, I was only the interim youth minister at the Columbia Avenue Church of Christ some years ago. And we were having a lock-in. Fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in the church building all night. If that didn't get me a star in my crown, I don't think anything will, church. And I don't remember, I think it was my idea. But yeah, I had taken a leave of absence from the oil company and I was wanting to connect our our teens and then our, 
our, our preteens. And so those 4th, 5th, and 6th graders, I said, why not have a lock-in talking to the two deacons that headed up that ministry? I said, why not have a lock-in for our, our younger guys, our 4th, 5th, 6th grade boys and girls? And so we did it. And then the next morning, because pickup time was at 7 o'clock, you know, come, come get them. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but yeah, 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. And here came Billy Carver. Now, I first met Billy because I had owned a clothing store. And uh, they rented their tuxes for him and his groomsmen for his wedding from us. That was the first time I met him, and since then he had kind of climbed the ladder at one of our local utilities to be the assistant manager of the local water company. And so here came Billy, and I don't think Billy went to church anywhere at that time. But he was waiting for his two girls to gather up their stuff. And in that few minutes that I was standing there making conversation with Billy... Billy said, I remember coming here when I was young. And he said, I remember Donnie Gardner teaching us. And he said, and she taught us this song. And church, i got to tell you, I had never heard that song before that moment. I've never heard it since. But Billy, standing there, in the entryway to our Family Life Center waiting on his daughters, sang that song to me. And he said, Please tell Miss Tani, thank you. A seed had been planted in him that still existed, church. Wherever his faith was, There is a seed planted and there is an opportunity for growth. How many times have we said there's hope for that person yet, right? That everyone we see, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, there is hope for them yet. Because God's Word shows us Time and again, how He is there for the broken. How He is there for the swindlers, the cheats, the liars, the gossips, the adulterers. That He says, I'm not done with you. Your life still has value. Because sin is sin. But I sent a Savior to reconcile you to me. And that church family is what we need to be about. Parents and grandparents, that's what you need to be teaching your children. John 17 verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Part of a prayer that Jesus prays in the garden not long before He is arrested and sheds His blood for each one of us. But church family, let's be clear in understanding that no matter who we are, 
not just parents, but all children of God. We have a duty, we have a responsibility to pass on our faith to friends, to family members, to co-workers, to neighbors, to former teammates, that we have an opportunity to pass on our faith. Because we get to the book of Revelation, we see that there is a choice that we've all had to make. And those choices have consequences. And in the book of Revelation, it uses that wonderful term, the Lamb's Book of Life. And talks about the names that have been written there. Those who have come to faith in God through Christ Jesus. And what a beautiful thing that is. Let's do all we can to make sure all we know, all that we care about, have their names written in that book. Sometimes it's just for you to plant that seed. But like Billy Carver showed me that day, those seeds can be planted so deeply that nothing can take them away. And that there is hope for everyone. Everyone. And who were we to love, church? Everyone. If you are with us this morning and you have not yet made the decision to give your life to Christ, oh, we can take your confession this morning and the waters of baptism are available. And if you have a concern that you need to bring before us and just want the body of Christ sharing that burden with you and praying for you, then the invitation is offered for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing.